All right. Well, not much in the way of announcements today. I would just like to say that uh, our Wednesday night services have been blessed. Great turnout. And I just want to keep reminding you, putting that before you guys, because obviously we love to see you guys uh, throughout the week as well. And so just know we're going to keep moving full steam with that. And so there is a place here for you. There is a seat with your name on it. And so please come out and join us 630 on Wednesday nights as we work our way through the book of 1 Samuel. All right, let me uh, offer up a word of prayer, and uh, we, will, we will dig in today's, today's study. Father, we love you, and I praise you so much, God. Thank you, Lord, for your great love with which you have loved us. Thank you for the love that is ours in Christ Jesus, and that we have been found in him, that we have been made new, we've been made alive forevermore, God. We will worship you in joy and adoration and thanksgiving. I thank you for these, my brothers and sisters, who have come out here today to worship you in person and to hear from your word. And I pray, God, that you would bless their efforts. Lord, they have come in faith. Lord, they have come to seek your face. And God, I know that you will reward them, God, for you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, God. And here we are, crying out collectively. We seek you, Lord. We love you. We need you. Would you please meet us here today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hallelujah. Well, you've heard me say this before, and you will hear me say it again. It is always our desire to be improving as a church. Always. We want to grow. We want to be able to better serve you. And so that is something that we are oftentimes prayerfully working towards. And so we just finished our uh, Vital Sign series. And this was something that was uh, really adopted uh, in our church to help strengthen the culture of our church as we seek, strive to be a church of Christ followers, those that are growing in Christ, those that are serving, those that are gathering, those that are giving. Amen? Amen. And so uh, we've kind of been on that journey for the last six weeks, and we finished that last week. And so today I'm going to do a special message on the leadership of our church the structure of the leadership in this church. That's something that we have also been prayerfully working towards uh, building upon and improving so that we can better serve you because that is our heart. That is our desire is to, to lead well, to shepherd you well, to be able to teach and care for you to the best of our ability. And so we have uh, recently formed a new group and this is a group of, of elders, and I'm going to be talking about this in the message today uh, from the scriptures, what, what does all of this mean? But it is a group of men, some are staff pastors, and some are what we would call lay pastors, lay elders. These are men who, they work outside the church, and God has called them to do that, but they also have a, a very real role in the church alongside the other elders to help shepherd you. And so it's a group of eight men. Uh, pastor elders that we we meet regularly to pray for you we meet regularly to consider how we can best serve you and and fulfill the mission of this church and how we can be available to you to help you and to pray for you to counsel uh, any way that we can serve you well that's our objective and so that's what I'm going to be talking about today and so this is good. This is good for our church. It is crucial for the health and the strength of our church. And this is very relevant for all of you. I want you to understand this. This is very relevant to you because you are cared for by the pastors and the elders of this church. And so it's very important to us and it's very relevant and important for you. 
This is a, a very clear biblical thing that we're talking about today as we look at the scriptures, the biblical model, the language of the New Testament. And as I said, this is going to strengthen the shepherding arm of our church. As I see it, there are really three main aspects to pastoral ministry. There's the teaching ministry, the pulpit ministry, and there are other ways in which the, the word is, is brought to you and taught. Then there is the oversight aspect, kind of the management of the church, making sure that everything is firing on all eight cylinders and that, that the ministries have what they need and that we are executing the mission. And then there's the shepherding aspect of it, the, the soul care, the people care. And we want all three of those aspects of ministry to be happening well here. We don't want anybody to fall through the cracks. Did you hear me on that? We don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. Not one person. Not one person to be left behind. Not one person to be forgotten. Not one person to, to wander away from the flock and not be sought after. And so that's what this is all about. And so we're going to be raising up two new men today at the end of the service, Matt Mittman and Joe George. And so this is an exciting time. And so this is a message for you. This is a message for them. And we'll bring them up at the end of the service. We're going to lay hands on them uh, with the other elders and, and install them into pastoral ministry here as elders at Calvary Napa. And we'll talk more about that when we get there. So let's go ahead and get into our message today. This is... These are all things pertaining to the, the eldership of our church, Calvary Napa. And so point number one, the church is overseen and shepherded by elders. I just want to define our terminology here. And so that's why we're going to start right here. The church is overseen and shepherded by elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 is a classic text for this very thing. And so it says this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So here we have the apostle Peter. He is uh, writing to the churches in Asia. And he says to them, look, I am a fellow elder. He was certainly a mighty apostle of Jesus Christ, but he saw himself as a fellow elder to the elders of the church. And he says, I have a word for you. I have a word of exhortation for you. And then he says, to the elders that are among you, shepherd the flock, serving as overseers. And so I want you to notice that all three of those are included in these verses here. He's talking to the elders who are overseers of the church, who are commissioned to shepherd the body of Christ. So all three of these terms are used in the same place, and it's all synonymous for the same person. And so that's something that we need to understand. The New Testament makes it clear that a pastor is an elder. An elder is a pastor. They oversee the church and they shepherd the church. You may not know this, but the word pastor, when speaking of the office or duty of a pastor, is only used one time in the New Testament. Anybody know where it is? Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4, that's where you would find it. But almost always when a pastor, as we understand it, is referenced in the New Testament, it is an elder, is it an elder? And so just want to make this very clear. So you have an elder who does the work of a pastor. It's, it's an action. It's to shepherd. It's, always, it's, a, it's a verb. And so an elder shepherds. I shepherd. You understand? And then the, the position is that of an overseer. And you find that word there, overseer, and that is someone who manages the church. They oversee the church. They make sure that it is running as it ought to run. And so all of this is part of being an elder, an elder pastor. And then Peter says that once you recognize that, know this, you're to do it willingly. It's something that you desire to do. It's not something that you've had your arm twisted into. You've not been guilted or forced or coerced into it. It's something that you do eagerly. It's, it's, it's the, the desire of your heart to do so. It's something that you do honestly, have to have integrity in ministry. It's something that you do humbly. We're not lords over anybody, you know? Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the Lord, not me. And we are to do so as examples to the flock. We are to lead by example. That is true leadership. You know, power is not leadership. Forcing people into something is not leadership. But being an example, being out on the front and, and, and going before the people and, and hoping that they would follow you, that is leadership. And that's what a pastor, elder, and a church is to be. And so here we have it. The church is overseen and shepherded by elders. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? We, we good? All right, let's move on to point two. Appointing elders has been a priority in the church from the beginning. Appointing elders has been a priority in the church from the beginning. Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas were out planting churches, uh, making disciples. And we hear this in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 23, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and Barnabas, they're tra traveling through Galatia here, and they're planting churches, and they're strengthening the disciples there, preaching the gospel. And then they set elders in place to continue that work when they leave. Somebody has to guide the church. Somebody has to be there to lead and strengthen the disciples. Paul could not do that. He had to move on and continue to plant churches in other places. So he raised up qualified men, elders, to do just that in the church. And he commended them to the Lord. That is to say that God is going to carry this ministry on. It wasn't Paul's job to keep the ministry alive. It was going to be God's job. It was God who ultimately starts that church, and it's God who keeps that church going, and it's the elders under God who are serving the Lord and serving the people for the strength of the church. And so in Titus chapter 1, Titus is uh, one of Paul's protégés. We know Timothy so oftentimes is referred to as that, but Titus is another guy, a young pastor that, that Paul commissioned. And in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city 
as I commanded you. So it was clearly a priority. He said, look, Titus, I left you in Crete for this reason, to fill up the things that were lacking. And what were the things that were lacking? Elders needed to be put in place. Elders needed to be raised up. And so Paul charged Titus to do that very thing in Crete and all the cities in that area. So we see that that is how the church is governed. It is through these elders. We see that it was a priority from the beginning to install these elders in churches as churches were planted. And point three, we see that raising up elders is a multi-generational process. This is something that should be happening regularly. God is looking to raise up men into the ministry to oversee the church. And this is something that, uh, you know, is exciting in a church to see when God does that, is it not? It really blesses us to see that the Lord is moving in his church and that he is raising people up and that we get to play a part of that because guys go out, they start new churches. You know, God moves people on. And so he's regularly bringing folks up and putting them into ministry. And so uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul raised Timothy up, put him in ministry. And he said, now listen, Timothy, the things that you have heard and seen from me, I want you to teach these to other men who will be able to teach others also. And so this was four generations represented right here in this verse. And so that is uh, very relevant to us. The things that I have heard and learned, I'm imparting to other men and the things that I am teaching them, they're going to turn around and teach others. And we're going to see this multi-generational process happening of men being raised up into pastoral ministry. Now, some may ask, you know, why do we why do we keep raising guys up? Well, the answer is right there, because the Bible says that we should be. And as long as God continues to raise guys up and to make it evident that's what he's doing, we're going to continue to do just that. Some people may say, well, how many do you need? Heard someone say that recently. How many do we need? I'll tell you the answer to that. As many as God will give us. As many as God will give us, because that is only more strength for our church. We want the flock in this church to be the best kept flock in Napa. Amen? We want you guys to be loved, surrounded, prayed for, encouraged, counseled, strengthened to the best of our ability, every single person. And God wants that more than we want that. Did you know that? God cares for you. I mean, just take a moment and think about that. That's what this boils down to. God cares for you. God cares for you individually, personally. He knows you. He loves you. And he is putting people in place in the church that are going to make sure that you are cared for, whatever that need may be. So recognize that as a very real extension of the love of Christ for you personally. It's a beautiful thing. Well, point number four, elders are to be qualified. These are to be qualified men. Titus 1 verse 6 says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, 
not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. So there are certainly qualifications. We don't just raise up any old guy that rolls in off the street. They have to be tested. They have to be proven. They have to be embraced by our people. They have to be trusted. They have to meet the qualifications. It has to be obvious that God's hand is on them. And so, you know, that was the case for me. Pastor Bill told me when I came here that just because I have a title doesn't make me anybody's pastor. And I knew that to be the truth. And I came here and I began to serve amongst you guys and y'all embraced me right away and you loved me and it has been such a blessing to this very day. And I am continued to be surrounded by, by the love of this congregation, my wife included. And we praise the Lord for that and we thank you guys for that. It is a real blessing for us to be able to serve you here. And that to us was simply a, uh, the, the recognition that God's hand is in this that God has opened your hearts to us, right? And that is what it takes for someone to be a, an elder or a pastor here. We have to see that. And so what we have here in this text are 10 positive commands. That is to say, 10 things that the elder must be or do. And then there are seven negative commands, seven things that he must not do or be. And so just, I just want to hit a few. I'm not going to go through this whole list, but just right off the top, first and foremost, he has to be a blameless man. Now, that does not mean perfect, okay? If it was perfect, we would all be in big trouble, right? But blameless is, it literally means that nothing will stick. And the idea there is that your reputation is such, your character is such, that if someone were to try and make some kind of accusation, your, your first reaction your first inclination would to be no that can't be i know that guy i know his heart i know his family i know his love for god i know his love for me and that's what it means to be blameless it's also rendered to be above reproach above reproach not easily reproached because your character speaks for itself he's to be faithful in marriage and in parenting blameless as a steward of God. Again, there's that word, but this time it's as a steward of God. Look, that's what pastors are. That's what elders are. We are stewards. You know, we are stewards of God's word. Sorry, I might be moving out of the camera here. Let me get back. We are stewards of God's word. Um, it's not my word, it's his word, and I have a obligation to guard it, to protect it and to cherish it, and to live by it, and to share it with others. And we are stewards of the resources of this church. When God moves in your heart to be generous to this church, we do not take that lightly. That is serious business. And we are to be faithful stewards of what God has given us to function as a church. And we are stewards of you guys. And that is very serious to us. And the Bible says that we're going to have to give an account for that. And so we recognize that you don't belong to us. You belong to the Lord, but he's entrusted you to our care for a time. And so we take that very seriously. We are to be blameless as stewards of God. We are to embrace sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Oh, man, this people just really, 
don't take this seriously in the day and age that we live. We are to take truth seriously, and we are to refute those who try to distort it or pervert it or contradict it. You know, in the day that we live in, that is so important because people are able to hear and read and see things that never before in, in history have they been able to access the kind of information that they can now. And there's so much false teaching going on out there. And as elders, we are commissioned, charged by God to know the truth, embrace the truth, champion it, defend it, and to also come against false teaching for the sake of the sheep. And so I'll see young guys sometimes that want to be in ministry, but it seems like they are giving in to some of the silliest teachings. And I'm thinking, man, how are you going to protect God's church if you're buying into every whim that blows through the church? It cannot be. And sometimes I think people in the church ask the question, you know, why, why do you have to name names or why do you have to, you know, confront certain people or certain things? Because the Bible says so. And we'll talk more about that as we go but that's one of, the, one of the commands of an elder is that we are to embrace the truth, sound doctrine, and we are to refute those who contradict it, those who would try to say otherwise, that which is false before the Lord. And then there's seven negative commands here, as I said, and um, just a couple not quick-tempered. I mean, can you imagine a, a pastor that's quick-tempered or, or violent? I mean, that that is a crazy thing to me because it's, it's someone that you want to be able to come to and trust and feel safe and protected by and guarded by. Could you imagine coming to a pastor with your deepest, darkest problems and then them being irritated with you or being quarrelsome with you or combative or, or unapproachable? And so a pastor is to be a gentle man. He is to be kind and ten tender and patient and uh, welcoming and so um, there are definitely qualifications and expectations. 1 Timothy 3.1 says this, It is a trustworthy statement that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. You know, an overseer, an elder, a pastor should want to do it. And so there's four things you'll notice in these verses here that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. So first off, there is this aspiring to it. It's something that you're going after. It's something that you desire to do, and you are, you are doing the job. I mean, you are, you are serving the Lord. But there's also this desire that's inside you to do just that. But then there's the desire for the position. There's nothing wrong with desiring the position of a, of a pastor, but then there's also a desire for the work. So all four of those things are happening simultaneously. There's an inward desire, an outward reaching for it. There's a desire for the, the, the title itself and then a, de a desire for the, the work. You know, if someone wants the title but they don't really want to do the job, that's backwards, right? That's, that would be a red flag. But when all of this is intact, then that is a man that is called by God and qualified by God because... I've heard it said, Mark Dever said this, you can have all the qualifications, but if you don't desire this, then you are not qualified. If you don't have a desire, then you're not qualified. And so it's serious. It's very serious, and it's something that you must desire. Now, having said that, it's not something that we do lightly. 
This is not something that, that we are haphazard about or just throw the caution to the wind because James 3.1 says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so if you are a teacher of the word of God, if you are an elder in the church, we are held to a stricter judgment. And so this is not something that you just casually enter into. Because if you are teaching the truth, then you can't say, I didn't know it. You can't stand before the Lord and say, well, I didn't know that. I mean, I was teaching it. I just didn't know it. Okay, that doesn't work. And so God expects us to live out what we know and what we teach. And the reality is, is that we know that we're not sufficient for this task. You know, the qualifications might be intact. The desire might be there. The reverence is there. The caution is there. But at the end of the day, we realize, man, who is sufficient for such a task? Who in the world could do a job like this in and of themselves? Well, 2 Corinthians 3 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And so I am not sufficient in and of myself for this task. It is a very heavy weight, but my sufficiency is in Christ. Amen? It is Christ who has called us as elders. It is Christ who has equipped us. And it is Christ by His Spirit who will empower us and bring fruit to our labors, fruit to this ministry, fruit to this church. And so we just have to recognize that. We have to recognize that ultimately it's all about Jesus moving in his church and moving through his ministers and moving in the hearts and the lives of you, his people, right? And so this is a word for all of us. I mean, who of us are sufficient in any way as it pertains to the things of God? We need God's blessing in our lives, do we not? We need God's spirit moving in our church. And so that is something that we long for and that we pray for as a church. We recognize that we need God. All right, moving on. Number five, God demands that his shepherds tend his flock well. God demands that his shepherds tend his flock well. Ezekiel 34, God had shepherds in the land of Israel that were supposed to be feeding his people, supposed to be taking care of his people, but they weren't. They were neglecting their duties as shepherds of Israel. They were not caring for God's people, and God had an indictment to bring against them. All right, Ezekiel 34, verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? So God expects his shepherds to take care of his sheep. That's not an unreasonable expectation. Jesus talked about this very thing in John chapter 10. He said, You have the true shepherd and then you have hirelings people that are just in it for themselves. They're not really willing to sacrifice for the sheep. They're not really willing to lay down their lives. But Jesus was as the good shepherd, and that essentially is what God expects of his true shepherds, that they are focused on caring for God's sheep more than themselves. And there's a rhetorical question here that God asks, and it's, you know, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? And that's an obvious yes. Yes, they should, but they weren't. 
They were not caring for God's flock. Verse 3, he says, You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor bought, uh, brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were supposed to be feeding the flock. Instead, they were fleecing the flock. It was all about what they could get out of the people. And we see a great example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The high priest at that time, his name is Eli, and he had two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And when people were bringing their sacrifices to the Lord, they would bring a meat offering. And the way that God had set it up was they were to boil the meat, and then the, the priest would get a portion of it after it was boiled for himself, and that's how the priesthood would be fed. But these particular priests, what they were doing was they were coming in, and they were by force taking what they wanted before it was boiled. They wanted the best cut of the meat, so they would reach into the pot with a three-pronged hook, take the best part, and then when the people who came to worship pleaded with them not to do that, they said, if you don't, I'm going to take it forcefully. And so they threatened the people. They perverted the sacrifice there, and they took the best for themselves. And it said as a result of that that the people despised the sacrifice of the Lord. They didn't even want to do it. They didn't even want to come and worship the Lord because of what the priests were doing there. And so that would be a great example of what was happening uh, amongst the, the shepherds of Israel, God's people that were supposed to be leading the people in worship were actually keeping the people from worshiping. So God says, you didn't strengthen the flock. You did not encourage people. You didn't strengthen, strengthen them in the Lord. He said, you didn't heal those who were sick. You didn't bind up the broken. That was something that a shepherd would do for sheep. You know, if their leg was broken or something like that, then they would, they would take that sheep and they would care for them and they would bind them up and they would pour oil on them and they would do what they could to, to bring healing to the sheep. And then when those who were driven away or wandered uh, were gone and, and lost, the shepherd was to go and find them. Well, the, the shepherds of Israel, of God's people, weren't doing any of this. They weren't caring for the people. They weren't seeking the lost. They weren't trying to, uh, to minister to their hearts and strengthen them in the Lord. They were driving them away forcefully. They were feeding themselves off of what the people were bringing to God. And so verse 5 it says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. So God said there was no shepherd. There were shepherds, but they were not present whatsoever. They were derelict shepherds. They were altogether absent. He said, as a result of that, my sheep became food. As a result of the absence of good and true shepherds, my sheep became food. You know, this is why we as pastors take seriously false teachers and false teachings and books and all those kinds of things that we know are circulating and really gaining traction. That's what God expects of his, his shepherds, to be vigilant, to be aware to be on the lookout, to be guarding the sheep, 
especially against that, those kinds of things that would ultimately destroy the sheep. And so, you know, I don't do it often, but there are times where I, I am aware of things that are happening out there and maybe even in our church. And I will call it for what it is. I will call people by name and I will address specific teachings or books, uh, things like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think the fear is, is that if you even bring it up, now people are going to be aware of it who weren't aware of it before. But the reality is, is that that is not a great way. That's, a, that's passive leadership. We have to call it what it is and make you aware of it and warn you against it and call out people who are teaching those kinds of things for your sake, because God has called us as shepherds to do that. You understand? I'm not worried about their feelings. I'm not worried about the feelings of false teachers and wolves out there. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your soul. I'm worried about your heart. I'm worried about your walk with the Lord. And that's what matters to us as elders of the church. And you just need to know that. So it's not like we want to be antagonistic or be provoking or, or mean-spirited or anything like that. And I don't think we are. But we have a commission before God to take these things seriously. Because he said, my sheep wander on mountains and high hills. That's just the reality. Sheep will wander, and they will wander as far as they can. You know, sheep will wander as far as they can. And so the shepherd's responsibility is to go after the sheep and to stop that from happening. God said they were scattered and no one was seeking them. Well, you know what? There was one. There was one shepherd who came to Israel who came to seek and who was that? It was Jesus, the good shepherd. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says this, Then Jesus went out about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus had a broken heart for the people of Israel. He saw their condition. He recognized that they were like sheep with no shepherd and that they were scattered. So he had compassion and he went after them. And that is the good shepherd. That is the chief shepherd. And we as his under shepherds are to do the same thing. And just like in uh, Samuel with um, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, Jesus had people in his time, religious leaders, who were hypocrites. And they were putting all of these demands upon people that they themselves weren't even able to keep. And what was it doing? It was hindering people from worshiping the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus said. And Jesus hated that. That made Jesus so angry. And he came against that very thing. So we see that God has a very real expectation for his shepherds. We take that seriously because we... We care for you guys. We love you guys. And we take the charge that God has given us seriously. Well, the elders have specific duties and responsibilities. And you should know this. Again, this is important for you guys to know because this is ultimately the care that's being afforded to you. So what are the expectations? What are the duties? What are the responsibilities of the elders? Well, why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 20. You know, Paul had been ministering in Ephesus for three years. It was the longest that he had been anywhere. He had been in uh, Corinth at one point for about half as long, but Ephesus more than anywhere else. 
And so he left Ephesus and he's passing back through, but he's not going to stop in Ephesus. He just passes by. But he does stop nearby to talk to the elders of Ephesus. He stops in Miletus to talk to the Ephesian elders before he goes because he has some very serious and important things that he wanted them to get before he left. So Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says that from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So there's that word. Take note of that. He called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. So Paul is going to remind them first and foremost of the example that he set for them. And I already talked about this. That is one of the markers of an elder is they are to set the example. And so Paul says, you know in what manner I lived among you. He was going to give instructions on top of that. But notice first off that he was amongst the people. That's what he says. You know what manner I live when I was amongst you. Elders have to be amongst the people. We have to be in your guys' lives as much as you'll let us be. We have to be living side by side with you. And we need to know who you are and to know your, your concerns, your cares, your needs, your struggles. We'll talk more about that. But we can't be men who are in no way approachable. You don't know how to get in touch with us. You don't know where we're at. You don't even know if we live in Napa. Uh, you know, that's not good. We have to be men who are amongst the flock, and that is our desire to be just that. Verse 19, he says, Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. So Paul saw his service as unto the Lord first and foremost. Serving the Lord with all humility. And that's the, that's the bottom line, folks, is that as much as we desire to serve you and be a blessing to you, we realize ultimately we're serving the Lord. God has given us a responsibility. God has given us his people to minister to. And so our service to you is our service to the Lord. And it's like that for all of us. Whatever it is that you're doing, wherever God has you planted, Whatever you're doing, you're doing it as unto him. And the Bible says that it is that way. And so, uh, how much so our service to you? And Paul said, I kept nothing back, but I proclaimed it all. Paul did not hold anything back. He spoke the whole truth to these people. The easy stuff, the hard stuff, the, the happy stuff, and the, the deep, heavy, and scary stuff he said it all he said it all and that is the that is the job of the elder is to speak the truth all of it and so you know i end up sometimes talking about the wrath of god or you know various things that you don't generally hear people talk about and because it's in god's word and that's why our our goal is to teach through the bible wednesday nights old testament sunday mornings new testament And so we want to speak everything that is helpful to you. And he says, I taught you publicly and house to house. And so Paul ministered to crowds, but Paul also ministered to individuals. And so that's a very real and important part of eldering in the church is there's definitely a place for corporate gathering and and teaching, but there's also private ministry that happens, individual ministry, house to house, 
coffee shop to coffee shop. Wherever it is, that's how it should be happening. Paul did that. And that's something that the elders also desire to do here at this church. Verse 25, he says, And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul had a clear conscience before the Lord as it regarded his care for the church. Paul had a clear conscience because he knew that he had declared God's word to them in its entirety. God spoke the, or excuse me, Paul spoke the whole truth of God, every bit of it, all of God's counsel. And so, as I said, that's our, that's our heart here. Verse 28, notice this, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that word overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And there's that word again for pastor, shepherd. So he's talking to these elders. And he's saying the, the flock of God over which you have been made overseers, shepherd them pastor them. So again, here's another text where you find all of those words speaking to the same group at the same time. And so first thing he says to them is keep a watch over yourself. And so pastors, elders, it starts there. I mean, they have to keep a watch on themselves first and foremost, on their character, on their doctrine. And how many pastors out there, elders, have we seen who didn't do this and they fall? And you hear tragic things in the news about pastors who fell into some kind of heinous sin because they didn't first keep a watch on themselves. They didn't keep a watch on their own doctrine. They give in to some wonky teaching. And then they start leading people astray. See, we have an enemy that wants to destroy us. He wants to strike the the under-shepherds of the church. And so we have to ever be mindful of that. And we have to guard our own hearts, guard our own souls, our own character, our own teaching first. And then we're to keep a watch over the flock. We're to do the same for you guys. And then notice because it's whose church is it? It's God's church. And it was purchased by the blood of Jesus. That is serious, folks. You are God's church. You are God's people. And he purchased you with the blood of his son. And he has called us to care for you. Do you know how serious that is for us? That is very serious. And he says that you've been appointed to do so by the Holy Spirit. He has made you overseers. So God has called us as elders to oversee, to manage his church, and to shepherd the flock, to shepherd you. Verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, even men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so Paul said, know this, know this, that when I leave, savage wolves are going to come in and they're not going to spare the flock. That's why we take seriously calling it when we see it, calling false teaching when we hear it, calling out false teachers and books and different things that are going around because you know what? They're not going to spare the flock. They're not going to spare the flock. And so we don't take that lightly. 
This is not games, you know. This is not, oh, well, we don't want to name names or hurt people's feelings. No, these are wolves that are going to decimate God's flock. And we have been called by God to do something about it. So as it pertains to this flock, the elders take that very seriously. And then he says, know this, after that, he says that for three years, night and day with tears, I warned you. And so Paul was a man who warned the people, warned the flock. You know, I, I love what uh, John Corson said. He said, if all you ever do is feed the flock and you never warn them, you're only fattening them up for the kill. And that is the truth of the matter. You know, we have to be those who warn the flock. All right, number seven. And this is our last point. The church members have a responsibility to be led well. You guys have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. God has set elders in place to govern the church, to shepherd the church. They have to be qualified men. They have to have the desire to do so. They have responsibilities. They have obligations. They have duties. But so do you. So do you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So, the writer of Hebrews here is saying to the, to the church there that they need to obey and submit to the rulers, to the leaders of the church. That sounds like pretty strong language, and that might even you know, cause us to recoil a little bit when we hear that. But the reality is, is he's just calling on them to, to obey the instruction of the word and the guidance of the elders. And this is why it is so crucial that the leaders have good character, right? This is why it's so crucial that the qualifications are intact. The leaders of the church, the men that are, are seeking to, to lead and to teach, are men that you should want to follow, men that you should look up to. That's a heavy weight. But you know, I first uh, I heard you know kind of this principle even in marriage as it pertains to Husbands, the Bible says that the husband is to, to lead the home and to lead it well. But I would often tell, you know, guys, you need to be, be the kind of leader that your wife would want to follow. You can't just say, you need to follow me and do what I say. It doesn't work like that. You need to earn that, really. You need to be somebody that the wife would want to look to and to trust and to follow. And the same is true of church elders. It's not just a, you know, do what we say because the Bible says so. No, we have to be men who you would desire to hear from and to follow and, uh, and to imitate even. And so when Paul says this, he says the reason is because they watch out for your souls. It's for your sake. It's for your own good. Ultimately, that's our objective here. That's what we're trying to do. And he says that we have to do so as those who would give an account. I mean, we have to stand before the Lord one day, folks, for how we, how we have uh, cared for you. That, to me, is, is a very heavy weight, especially when I think about people that just kind of come in and go. They won't really let us get to know them. They slip in, they slip out undetected, and it's like, that's, is that somebody that I have to give an account for? I don't even know who they are. I don't even know where their walk is before the Lord. 
And so it's important that if you consider this your home, that, that you let us get to know you and that we can pray for you and that we can minister to you and, and have confidence that you know the Lord and that you've received the, the gospel because we have to stand before God one day for how we cared for you. And then he says to let them do so joyfully, not with grief, for that would not be profitable for you. And so letting us serve you with joy, not with grief, that's not good for anybody, is it? It's not good for you. It's not good for us. It's not good for the church. We want to serve you well. We want to serve you joyfully, and we want it to be a blessing for all people involved. All right, last text, James chapter 5, verse 14. James says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So notice here, James says that if you're sick, call upon who? The elders of the church. Call upon the elders and let them pray for you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. So the elders are to play a very active role in praying and caring for the flock. And so that requires, one, us knowing you, knowing your needs, and you coming forward so that we can do just that, so that we can pray for you. So he talks about anointing people with oil. You know, there's a few things potentially going on with that, and we're going to anoint these brothers with oil at the end of the service. In the Old Testament, oil was often symbolic of God's blessing, of the Holy Spirit. And so when we, or when, uh, when something was going to be consecrated to the Lord's service, the temple, are, uh, you know, the implements in the temple or the, the priests themselves, they would be anointed with oil. And that was kind of like saying they are set apart for God now. But it would also be seen as uh, medicinal. There would be healing properties there. If there was someone who was wounded, uh, they would pour oil on the wound. And so you kind of see all of that spiritually there as it pertains to oil. And so we're told that if someone is sick, they should come to the elders of the church and let the elders anoint them with oil. And it's kind of like a symbolic way of of, of uh, you know, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon somebody, of, of healing happening, of them being set apart unto the Lord. And this is something that the elders of the church do. This is something that we do here. We do anoint people with oil and pray for them when they are struggling, when they are sick, when they are hurting, whatever the case may be. And so if you need prayer, if you would want to seek the Lord for healing in your life, then you can come to the elders and we would gladly pray for you and anoint you with oil. But you need to come to us. If you're struggling with sin, if you've got sin in your life, you don't know what to do about it, you can't seem to overcome it, and you have any kind of question whatsoever, or you need accountability or encouragement or scripture or something, come to the elders of the church. Let us minister to you. Let us encourage you in the Lord. Let us try to strengthen you in his word. Let us pray for you that you would have victory in those areas. If you are struggling in relationship, if there are relationships that are tattered, torn, struggling, come to the elders of the church so that we can minister to you, counsel you with God's word, love you, pray for you, strengthen you. If you have Bible issues, if there are things that you just don't understand, things that you don't like, 
things that really upset you even, you can come to the elders of the church and we'll walk you through these things. We will share the truth with you as best as we can. We'll try to clear up any issues that you may have. If if you are struggling with communicating something to somebody else, a coworker or a, or a friend or whoever, come to the elders of the church and let us equip you from the scriptures to be able to do that. If you know of false teaching, if you know of false teachings happening in the church, or you even sense that maybe you're being uh, pulled away into something, come to the elders of the church. Let us encourage you. Let us share with you the truth so that we can strengthen you in that area and so that if there is an issue happening in the church, that we can do something about it so that we can address it. If you know of sin going on in the church, if you know of, of people that are in blatant, unrepentant sin, the Bible says that you are to go to that person and try to win your brother or your sister. But if they won't hear you, you're to take someone with you. And if they don't hear you, this is Matthew 18, you're supposed to bring it to the church and let the elders step in and try to care for these people and to bring healing and to, to bring restoration uh, out of this situation. And so these are all ways in which the elders are here to care for you and to minister to your needs. You know, if there are financial needs that you have, if you're struggling, come to the elders of the church. Let the church minister to your needs. However we can be there to serve you, we are here to serve you. And that's why we have this group of men. This is what I am calling the shepherding arm of our church. And we exist to make sure that every soul in this church is cared for in whatever way that we can possibly care for you. And we don't want one person to fall through the crack. We don't want one sheep to wander away. You know, you hear about people that, that haven't come and they say, nobody even reached out to me. How often have we heard that? Or, you know, sometimes people are gone for a while and then the name pops up and you're like, wow, I didn't even realize they weren't here. That happens, folks. It happens a lot. It is hard for one person to keep up with so many people. And so that's why we have this group of men that are dedicated to that very thing. And so we'll talk more in time to come about other ways in which our elders are going to be very intentional about caring for the flock systematically. But just know that we love you and that we take this seriously and that we're praying for you and we gather to, to consider how we, can, how we can lead you. And so we would ask that you would allow us to do that. Amen. That you would allow us to be able to joyfully serve you and be a blessing to you. Sound good? We love you guys. You know that? We want to serve you. We want to take care of you to the best of our ability. We take it seriously. So we're excited that you're here. We're excited that you are a part of this church. We're excited about what God is doing in your lives, what he's going to do. And we are so thrilled, so honored that we get to play a small part in that. I hope you know that. I hope you know that. Well, at this time, we're going to bring Joe George and Matt Mittman up and lay hands on these brothers. I'm going to ask for the rest of the, the elders to come forward, if you would come up at this time. So as I said, I, I talked a little bit about what the uh, anointing of oil represents. And so this is a, a consecration, if you will. It's a setting up, it's a dedicating. Let's use some modern vernacular here. We're dedicating these men to God's service. And we are commissioning them as elders in this flock, pastor elders. And as I said, you know, we have some men who are uh, staff pastors. They work here full time. We have other men who God has called. They have, uh, they have a career outside the church. 
but they are every bit as much shepherds of this church too. We don't have some second tier thing happening here. Shepherds, the elders at this church, are, they are all elders, shepherds, pastors of this church collectively. And I'm a member of that group. And so when we come together, we are all equals. I might be considered a first among equals by nature of the, the position that I have, but we are all elders God has called collectively to serve this body. And so I want you to know, if you get a visit from any one of these men, you are blessed. You are being visited by a pastor from our church. You are being counseled and cared for by a pastor of this church. And uh, I just want you to know that. And so we are honored Joe and Matt, they've been serving faithfully at this church. They are just godly men, dear brothers to me and, and to us. And I've gotten to know them and I have seen their walks and their, their families and their reputation, their giftings. It's all there. I see it. We all see it. The more I've gotten to know them and interact with them, I have been blessed personally. I am uplifted and edified by you brothers when we, when we interact with one another and uh, I am so excited. I believe in you, what God is doing in your lives, what God has brought you here to, to bring blessing to this church. And just know that we love you guys and we're excited about what God is doing in our church through you guys. And so this is an honor for us to be able to pray for you and to anoint you. So Pastor Vince is going to pray. He's going to pray and anoint. Why don't you come on in, brother? Come on in. Don't stray now. <laughs> and uh, we're going to lay hands on these brothers and Pastor Vince is going to pray. Well, it's really an, really an honor to um, be a part of this and to recognize these two wonderful men who have uh, such a great reputations uh, amongst the fellowship of believers here and throughout the community here. And uh, I've been privileged to know them and to, and to uh, have experienced their love and grace in my own life. And uh, I know that they're both wonderful family men and they love their families and they have uh, taught their families to love Jesus, to know Jesus. And, and, uh, and I pray, God, that uh, as we anoint them with oil, that you will uh, touch their hearts, uh, open their minds to whatever else you have ahead of them uh, to serve this church and to serve this body. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful privilege to see God raise men up in this way. And uh, so we're going to anoint them with oil, and then I'm going to pray for them. And I'm, I'm just really blessed and thankful for the, the lives that these two men have shown and uh, look forward to what God's going to do uh, in our body with them as uh, part of the leadership here. Amen. Father, we just thank you for all that you do in our lives and, and in our body here and throughout the world, Lord. We thank you for, uh, God, your anointing, for your, your um, leadership, your guidance for each of our lives. Uh, how personal and how lovely it is to know that, that we are led by you, Lord. You are the great shepherd. You are the one to whom we answer to uh, in everything in our lives, Lord. And you know us inside and out you know everything about our lives and and we are not worthy lord of you but uh you still 
uh, do mighty works through our humble lives. And you allow us, Lord, to, to serve you and to serve one another and to love one another and to care for one another. And these two men, Lord, have shown a heart to do just that uh, from amongst our body. And so we just praise you and thank you for that. We ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would continue to anoint them, would come upon them and, and gift them even more, Father, uh, that they might serve faithfully and meaningfully to this body of believers here. Uh, we are all your children, Lord. We are your royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to you. And uh, we now we acknowledge these two wonderful men, uh, both Matt and jo Joe, Lord, to be part of our leadership here. And uh, we trust it all into your precious hands, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and bring our service to an end now, but I want to encourage you to come up after the service, and uh, if you haven't met these brothers personally, that you would uh, introduce yourself to them, because it's really important to them and to us, as I said, that uh, we, we know everybody, and so if you don't know them, would you please introduce yourself and congratulate them, and uh, we would really appreciate it if you would do just that. So let me just pray. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church, and we thank you for what you're doing for your own glory and in your own kingdom, and that we get to be a part of that, Lord. So would you, Lord, pour your Holy Spirit out upon us all today, God? Would you bless us, your sons and daughters, in the name of Jesus? We thank you, Lord, for the glorious gospel. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to save sinners. We thank you that you poured your life out to the death, that we unworthy and undeserving sinners could know the forgiveness and the mercy and the kindness and the grace of a loving God. We didn't deserve it, Lord, but such is your love that you would pay such a price that you would send your son Jesus to die upon the cross and to die in our stead and that our sins would be placed upon him there and he would suffer the wrath of Almighty God there upon that cross, thus washing our sins away, cleansing us, past, present, and future, purchasing us as children and adopting us into your family and securing for us eternal glory. And so we worship you, Father. We praise you as those who have believed on the name of Jesus and have trusted in the finished work of the cross and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And we know that as he uh, lives, we too live and we shall live forevermore in your presence, God. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.